Well, I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus and a special welcome to those of you who are joining us at our Ferndale and Sutton Valley campuses as well. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant and I'm just glad to be with you here today. We've been doing a series called Restart and as kind of a premise for the series, I shared in the first couple weeks about how I restarted my running discipline because basically I, I'd fallen in love with laying down on a sofa and eating a lot of food and I felt like I needed to do something to get a little bit more active. Now, when you share that in front of between three and 4,000 people on a weekend, there's something evil inside of human beings that think that they actually get an opportunity to comment on what it is that you're doing, okay? So I'm out running the other day. I'd like to thank the group of high school students who were in a car that drove by and yelled, run forest, as I was out. Thank you for the affirmation. I appreciate it. I'd also like to thank the couple who pulled up in front of me on the Northwest Road, and uh, I was about 10 feet behind them. They dangled a Woods coffee cup that, <laughs> that I'm sure had a hazelnut mocha inside of it, and when I got to within 10 feet, they started to slowly roll ahead. Just, I'm not going to mention any names, Paul and Nancy, but uh, I think I need to do a series on being nice around here. Okay, so... Anyways, we've been doing a series called Restart, and two weeks ago we talked about restarting our commitment to Jesus. We talked about uh, renewing our dedication to denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. Last week we talked about restarting our passion for the biblical roots that Jesus has embedded inside of our church history. And this week we're going to talk about Jesus and his passion for his church that he began building 2,000 years ago. So if you've got a Bible or an app or your outline, I'm going to invite you to open that up. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. I began the first week of the series talking about a moment of clarity that I had when I stepped onto a bathroom way scale. That's what made me want to go out and start running again. And this week I'm going to talk about a moment of clarity, a moment of sobering reality that happens in my heart and my mind every single time I open Acts chapter 2. Okay, let me just set the stage. So Jesus has lived and been involved in his teaching ministry for three years. Then he dies on a cross to, to take upon his sinless life, the sins of the world. He dies, then he's raised from the dead three days later. And through the power of God, after he's dead, he restarts life. Then Jesus leaves and his followers are left standing, staring at the sky. Literally, that's what happens, okay? And he, they're standing there staring at the sky, and an angel of God comes and stands alongside of them. Can you picture it? Like staring at the sky, and suddenly this angel, and he's like, well, why are you staring in the sky? He's coming back. Just relax and do what he told you to do. That's how the scripture s describes what happens after Jesus leaves. So they go to Jerusalem under instruction. The Holy Spirit of God comes at Pentecost. Fire falls from heaven. And the followers of Jesus can suddenly miraculously speak in different languages. So they use that God-given miracle to share about Jesus. People think they're drunk, but they can't be because it's 9 o'clock in the morning. And read it for yourself. It's in the Bible, okay? And people put their faith in Jesus. And the church goes from a couple of hundred people to more than 3,000 people in a single day. That's awesome, isn't it? I mean, that's just fantastic. And this is the description of the first church that shatters me every single time I read it. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. They, meaning the very first group of believers that called themselves church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, 
the breaking of bread into prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and their goods, they gave to everyone, anyone, as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That passage shatters me because when I see the picture of the original church, this is what I think. Boy, we got a long way to go. We've got a long way to go. Because I don't know what you've experienced in your life about church, but when I think of my experience in the 40-some years that I've been dealing with church, when I read Acts chapter 2, it's like, that's not what I've experienced right there. It's just different. It's just different. And if you wanted to, you could get unbelievably discouraged or you can remind yourself that God paints a picture of this church because God wants to remind us that God is still using that kind of people, those kind of people, to change the world. plan hasn't shifted. So this is not rocket science or flashy theology. We're just going to go straight out of the text, okay? Here's a description of the church out of Acts chapter 2. It starts with this. They were a desperate church. And we're going to go fast, so you're going to have to keep up, okay? They were a desperate church. I mean, don't forget that after this cool stuff happens, all right, the people who had tried to kill their leader, who had tried to kill Jesus, they were still in charge, and they're in the same city. Okay, so the tone of the world hasn't changed very much. And I'm sure the religious leaders were not happy that this person, this leader of this movement that they tried to kill, they probably weren't really happy that he was still alive. Okay, it was probably even worse that he died and then came back to life. I mean, if you're trying to kill a movement by removing their leader, the leader dies and then comes back to life again, it kind of messes with your plan, right? This church was desperate for God. They were desperate with their message. They were desperate because preaching their message was putting their lives at risk. I mean, these guys needed God to show up in a big and powerful way. This church actually needed to pray the Lord's Prayer and mean it. Because if God didn't give them their daily bread, they starved. That was their reality. Let me ask the question, are we that desperate for God? Are we that desperate for His help? Are we that desperate for His power? I mean, the truth is that it's hard to be desperate for God when your life's not in danger, your fridge is full, and your bank account has a positive balance. True? Oh, help me, Jesus. Now just go to the fridge and eat something. It's just hard to be desperate for God, isn't it? Just so we understand, you become desperate for God when you come to the end of yourself and you realize that your best effort can't save you. When you realize that you're wrecked for eternity without Jesus, that in that moment, then you're desperate for God. So they were a desperate church. Secondly, they were a deep church. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, I want to remind you of something. The church didn't have a Bible yet, okay? They had the teachings of Jesus a bunch of prophetic books, and a whole bunch of history. They didn't have some of the things we have. They didn't have the promise of the book of the Revelation, where we find out what actually happens at the end of the story. They didn't have the, 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 the relational advice that comes out of the book of Corinthians. They didn't have the words of Paul, because Paul wasn't even Paul yet. Paul was still a jerk named Saul who was trying to kill the original church. They didn't have any of his words. 
And yet, the church found depth in what God had given them. Well, this is not rocket science, but shouldn't we be even deeper? Because we have so much more. I mean, I just want to restate some things this weekend so that we understand exactly how this is all working, okay? I can't give you enough spiritual food to live off of in the 27 to 28 minutes that they give me every single week, okay? That's all they trust me with, right? 27 to 28 minutes. I wish I had an hour and a half every single week, but that's the the amount of time we got, right? Okay, saying that you could live off of what I can give you in 27 minutes is like me taking you to the Chinese buffet across the parking lot here in Bellingham or any other restaurant in Sudden Valley in Ferndale, walking over there and saying, okay, here's the deal. You've got 27 minutes to eat as much as you possibly can, and that's all you get for the week. It just wouldn't make any sense, would it? It's not enough. If you gorge yourself that way, it's probably going to make you sick doing it. I say that to mean this, as a disciple of Jesus, you need to walk and learn from your rabbi, and just in case you were wondering, I'm not him. You need to walk with and learn from your rabbi every single day, immerse yourself in the truth of God's instruction. And if you ever want to get the ugly side of me, come up and make this comment at some point, because I'm just going to talk about all the pastors in town, because they all hear this at some point. Some just walk up and they use this famous line. Pastor, I'm just not being fed. To which I will reply to you. If you're not being fed, do me a favor. Climb down out of your high chair. Take off your bib. Toddle over to the big people table. Get a chair. Pick up a fork and learn how to feed yourself. Straight up. I mean, some of you have been believers for like three, four decades. I'm not being fed. Oh, here you go, little baby. We'll just give you a little bit so you can come on, right? Let's keep going. That was a good soapbox, though. Okay, all right? They were a connected church. Verse 42. It says they were devoted to fellowship and the breaking of bread. They did life together. They shared a meal together. They're talking here about communion and regular meals. Okay? I want you to notice something. They didn't share a meal with the 6 o'clock news or Wheel of Fortune. Okay? They shared a meal with each other because they wanted to talk and connect. They were devoting themselves not only to the apostles' teaching but to each other. Next, they were a praying church. The Bible says they devoted themselves to prayer, which means they prayed together. They called out to God corporately and privately. They interceded on behalf of each other because it really, really mattered. They prayed as if their lives depended on it because in the first century, their lives really did depend on it. They stayed connected to the vine because they knew that they could not survive without Jesus. So they prayed, period. Here's the next one. They were an awestruck church. The Bible says everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I mean, let's have an honest moment, right? As we get older, we tend to lose that childlike awe and wonder that we used to have. I mean, have you ever seen a little kid on a walk and then they see a bug on the ground? And they circle around it and they get right down on the ground and they stare at it and it's usually it's like, wow. And it's just a bug, Right? As we get older, we just kind of lose our sense of awe. You know how I know this to be true? Because Mount Baker's here. You know who doesn't notice it most mornings? 
us. You know why? Because we just get used. We just get used to it being there. Of course, it's there, and we lose our sense of awe, knowing that God actually was the one who put it there. Last week, I showed you some pictures of just a few of the Christ the Kings that God birthed out of a desperate little group of 54 people. Let me tell you another story. Yadija Parker is a pastor in India. Yadija trains physically and has for years every single day because he knows when he goes out and preaches the message of Jesus, the same message that I preach, when he goes out and preaches that in the public place where God has placed him, he will get beat up. And so he trains physically every day so when they knock him down, he can get back up again. It's as simple as that. Yadija, one day, went to an Indian market. God led him there according to his story. And God laid right in front of him a shirt. And on the shirt was a blue logo that said, Christ the King Community Church. And underneath of it was a website. So Yadija goes to the website, learns everything that's on the website, and begins to train pastors. He contacts us on the other side of the world, calls the Christ the King Network, and he begins to form some relationships, and then he goes out every day preaching with this new shirt because it's got the name of his new church on it. Let me show you a picture. This is Yadija, and that's the shirt. Okay? So he goes out, and he just starts preaching. And God begins to move. He used the little website, and, and Yadidja's getting trained, and he just starts training other people. Okay? God begins to move. Dave Browning starts getting phone calls from this guy on the other side of the world and makes a decision. I should probably go and visit this guy and find out what he's up to. When Dave arrives, Yadidja says, I'm going to take you to CTK India National Headquarters. And now, I would have thought, yeah, okay, national headquarters, right? A little four-by-four four building or something like that with a sign over top of it. This is the building that they showed up at, okay? It's, it's three stories high. It's got all of our catchphrases painted all over the place. Yadidja has trained and released over 400 pastors. There are hundreds of Christ the King churches, and God started it with a shirt, A shirt, a piece of fabric, and a courageous, willing guy that was willing to wear it. And we look at that and we go, wow. Can I remind you of something? Same God in Acts chapter 2. Same God in India. Same God here today, right now. What else can we learn from these guys? Keep moving. They were a generous church. The Bible says all the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and good. They gave to anyone as he had need. I love this. They were defined by their generosity. They looked and helped after and meet each other's needs. They fed the poor. They looked after orphans and windows, widows. I mean, they'd see a need and meet it. It was as simple as that. The Bible also says, verse 46, they were a big church that acted small. It says, every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. So they were big, over 3,000 in one day, but they remained in close fellowship, living out their faith face to face. The Bible goes on. It says they were a joyful church. It says, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, they found joy in all things and they gave thanks to God as he touched them. 
Here's the next one. They were a growing church. The Bible says they were enjoying the favor of the community. So even the people around them were enjoying this group of people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they grew in favor and they grew in number. Okay, now let's come full circle because this is so important. Okay, The description started off saying that they were known for their depth. Okay, It ends with it saying that they were growing on a daily basis. Basis, And this is where we get our wires crossed all of the time. Because some people will say that in order to reach out, you have to go deep first. And until you get deep, you can't reach out. Other people will say you can't reach out and still have some kind of spiritual depth. That somehow you need to stay on this fluffy surface. And that you can't do both at the same time. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that the depth of discipleship and the reality of reaching out actually go hand in hand. I've learned this specifically. If you want to go deep as a believer, invite somebody who doesn't follow who you follow, who doesn't believe what you believe, invite them into your life to ask you questions about your faith, and you will learn to pray and study your Bible like you have never had to in your life. They will cause you to grow just want to remind everybody, church is not about accumulating Bible trivia. It's about speaking the gospel so that human lives are transformed. So there it is. What an amazing picture. And we are their legacy. And it would just seem to make sense that if God called our forefathers to that level of following, that we should probably follow on the same path. So let's just get personal, okay? We don't live in Jerusalem. It's not the first century, but this binds us together with that group of people. The church is still Jesus' plan A for reaching the world, and there is no plan B. We're it. We're the church. We're not the only church. We're not the best church. We're not the prettiest church. We're just... The church, and I'm not ashamed to say this, and I know, hopefully, everybody knows this. The church belongs to Jesus, but this is my church. This is my church. Not because it belongs to me, but because I belong to it. I love this church. This is my spiritual family. I love what God's doing here. I'll be the first to tell you, we have not even come remotely close to arriving in any way, shape, or form. We're like, amen. We're like a three-ring circus here most of the time. We've not arrived. You know how I know we've not arrived? Because I'm still here. I hear people say this all the time. I need to go look for a perfect church. The second you walk in the doors, you just totally messed it up. Okay? That's the way that it works. And I just want to speak from my heart here for just a moment. You know, this is what I know about Christ the King. We're a lot of people's second choice when it comes to church. I know that. A couple years ago, when, when we were running higher numbers than we'd ever run before, there was a lot of trouble out there in church land. And I know, because this is how it works. A lot of people come during those tough seasons, and they hide here for a little while. And that's okay. That's okay. But then they get a little disillusioned because the pastor wears flip-flops. It's my first week with normal shoes back on. 
or they think the music's too loud or, or the room's too cold or they've got to sit next to somebody that doesn't really look like they are comfortable with them looking like. And, and so they just kind of disappear back to where they came from. We're a lot of people's second choice. But I want to speak to those of you that God has called here as his first choice. If God puts you here, and this is your church, this is your church, when we get it right and when we get it wrong, if this is your church, I'm going to ask you boldly this weekend to recommit yourself to this body, and let me explain what that means, okay? I listed it in your program this way. If CTK is my church, I will commit to. You ready for this? Here it comes. I will commit to living desperately. If you're going to belong here, you're going to need to get desperate. You're going to need to be able to say, I'm desperate for God because left on my own, I'm a mess. You need to be able to say, I need God. I need his mind or I'm stupid. I need his heart or I'm selfish. I need his passion or I'm, bored or I'm boring. I need his sacrifice or I'm, or I'm doomed. I need more of Jesus every day or all of this is meaningless. And I'm going to tell you something. Desperate people do desperate things. So that means if you're going to belong here, it means you're going to take more faith risks and pray bolder prayers than you've ever prayed before. I'm asking you as a disciple of Jesus that calls this church home to ride without a faith helmet and unbubble wrap your soul, to step outside of your cute little Christian bubble, to, to refuse to be consumed with ease and recreation, and to live your life under this banner. I will trust God or die. Now that's a high bar, okay? If CTK is my church, I will commit to number two, serving faithfully. And this is a tough one for people. I'm going to say it, okay? Don't say this is your church if you're not following the example of the Jesus that this church is following and not serving. Because Jesus served. Jesus served people who betrayed him. Jesus served people who abandoned him. I know some of you are here right now, believe me, because I understand I've been doing this for 12 years in this place. I know some of you are just hiding and healing. And if that's you, I just want you to hear me. It's okay. You can hide and heal as long as you need to until God tells you to do something outrageous for him. But here's what I know. Some of you that are here, you've healed enough. You've healed enough. You can't invoke visitor status anymore. You can't say, I'm a visitor. Pass the bucket. You've been here for seven years. Seriously? I mean, that's just the way it goes, right? I'm inviting you. Don't think you need to get perfect before you can serve. Don't watch the game. Come and play. Teach a class. Rock a baby. Program the lights. Shake a hand. Stand by a booth. Invite people. Smile. Lead a group. Pray with people after the service. Play an instrument. Work a camera. Teach children. Work with middle school kids. Cook at Alpha. Whatever God calls you to do, do it. I promise you your life will be richer. Okay? If CTK is your church, you will reach out intentionally. That's the next one. Which means you're going to invite people to join you on your faith journey. Not because you got it all together, but because you're on a journey and they're on one too. That means invite somebody to come to church with you. 
That means see a need in your neighborhood and actually do something about it. That means don't be afraid to have tough conversations. Don't be afraid to be asked a tough theological question and answer. I have no idea, but I'll find out. Don't be afraid of those conversations. Don't be afraid to step out of your bubble and become a fisher of men. Don't be afraid to bring in and include people that you think have absolutely no spot in a church. Because I promise you, someday, if you invite them, they will be in a baptism tank. And how cool would it be if you were the one to baptize them? Here's the next one. If CTK is my church, I'll be a part of giving sacrificially. <gasps> yeah, I said it, okay? I said it. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, which means if we're going to call this place home, we need to give out of gratitude for all that God has done for us, which means we're going to be biblical. We're going to give faithfully, give regularly, give cheerfully. We're going to give generously. We're going to give our time, our talent, and yes, we're going to return back to God God's money because it's not yours. Are we clear on that? It's not yours. It belongs to Him. We're going to give sacrificially. In fact, I'd love for us to reorient our whole brain when it comes to coming to church. What if you came to church not looking to get anything, but for an opportunity to give? What if that was your whole thing? You walked in the door going, this is going to be awesome. If somebody needs a meal, I'm buying. Somebody needs a, a, a ride, I'm, I'm driving. If somebody needs help, I'm helping. What if you stood in the commons at Bellingham, Sudden Valley, or Ferndale looking for somebody who looked like they were lost and your whole purpose in coming to church was to reach into their life and be a friendly hand? Don't you think that would change the way we walked in the door? I mean, what if you came and it was so bad on one weekend but you were so focused on giving instead of getting that you were able to walk out of here going, thank you, Jesus, that was not for me. I'm so glad that was for somebody else. I can celebrate that. I'm going to come back next week. Maybe God will have something for me. But for this week, it was all about everybody else in the room. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. What if we had that kind of an attitude? CTK is your church. God's calling you to be someone that prays passionately. I just want you to, to think about this. Pray for your church. It needs it. Pray for the leaders. We need it. Pray for miracles. Pray for God's truth to be preached. Pray for Jesus to always be central. Pray for, for God to change your heart. Pray for God to break your heart to the things that break His. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come and comfort and convict. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers into His harvest and then be the answer to your own prayer. And here's the last one. If CTK is my church, and I will commit to engaging purposefully. I would so love if you'd just join us. If this is your family, join us on this mission. Get connected. Get plugged in. Don't use the excuse, oh, I tried once. Try again. Here's a good place to start. Most of you are creatures of habit. You always sit in the same spot. And because most of you always sit in the same spot, do you realize that some of you have been sitting next to each other for eight or nine years and you don't even know each other's names yet? 
come on. If you want to get connected, try introducing yourself a row up, a row back, and to the side. Instant friends. Instant family. Here's what I know. If we do this, maybe one day, when the history of Christ the King Church is being written, maybe they'll be able to say the same things of us that we're saying about a church that existed 2,000 years ago. I don't know about you, but I would love that legacy. So Christ the King, I don't care what campus you go to, I'm calling you out. If this is your church, prove it. If this is where God has placed you, re-up, recommit, reinvigorate your soul, not for this story, but for his story. This is not about Christ the King. This is about Christ the King. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the story of Scripture. Thank you for hope and help. Lord, I do pray that some people will cross the line, move beyond good intentions. I pray that some who, who have convinced themselves that they're never going to know enough Bible, they're never going to have, have done enough good things in their life to be able to be involved, Lord, I pray that they would put all of that behind them and simply enter into serving Jesus. Because I know, Lord, you'll equip them You'll give them the words. You will empower them. Jesus, this is about you. It's not about us. So would you allow us to boldly believe that we could be an Acts 2 kind of church. Lord, we make ourselves fully and wholly available to you to do with as you would see fit. And we will give you all of the honor and all of the glory because it is in your good name that we pray. All God's people said, Amen.